Hello, good evening. This is Marian Robinson. And in my final podcast, I want to talk about encouraging self-discipline in the classroom through the use of cognitive behavioral therapy, also known as CBT. When I feel good, I do good. And when I feel bad, I do bad. Two things I have been looking at uh, recently uh, as I delve off into the uh, topic of cognitive behavioral therapy, I've been looking at some resources, resources that I have used that are research-based, tried and true. Uh, We often don't uh, pay attention to books. Books have been my best friend for the last 15 years since I've been in education. Uh, I was introduced to book studies when I was a teacher in the Dallas Independent School District. Uh, One of the things that the principal that I worked under at the time uh, encouraged was reading and being a lifelong learner. And so one of the books that I was introduced to while teaching in Dallas Independent School District was Teaching with Poverty in Mind by Eric Gibson. And this is a groundbreaking book, What Being Poor Does to Kids' Brains and What Schools Can Do About It. And when we're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, you know we have the word cognitive in there, and we know that cognition is dealing with uh, the brain and how the the, uh, mind performs and works. And cognitive behavioral therapy works on those emotions that are hardwired in our students, especially students that uh, may come from uh, environments of trauma, uh, poverty, poverty and trauma combined, uh, works a little bit different on uh, students. And so we need to have those resources and those mechanisms in place in order to help support those students uh, who are already at risk uh, for having some deficits. One thing that I've always... um, been thoughtful about since the day that I read this book is the emotional keyboard Uh, and it's something that I learned about after reading uh, Dr. Jensen's book and it talks about the emotional keyboard and uh, students being hardwired for some different emotions that uh, you know are prevalent in each one of us And it also, in the book, talks about adverse childhood experiences, the ACEs. Uh, You have adverse childhood experiences, social, emotional, and cognitive impairment, adoption of health, risk behaviors, disease, disability, and social problems, and early death. That is the pyramid of of the adverse childhood experiences model. Dr. Jensen, in his book, the thing that I took away from the book was the emotional keyboard. And it says the emotional brain can be represented by a keyboard on which children from poverty use fewer keys than well-off children. The six responses represented by the darker shading of the keyboard and in the center box are hardwired in our DNA. The responses represented by the lighter shading must be taught. So in the dark shadowing of the emotional keyboard uh his research found that our brains are hardwired for sadness joy 
disgust, anger, surprise, and fear. In the lighter shadings, it taught uh, the emotions that are taught are humility, forgiveness, empathy, optimism, and compassion. And it also showed that um, sympathy, patience, shame, cooperation, and gratitude are all also taught. Uh, we must understand that children raised in poverty are more likely to display acting out behaviors, impatience and impulsivity, uh, gaps in politeness and social graces, a more limited range of behavioral responses, inappropriate emotional responses, and less empathy for others' misfortunes. So as an educator, it is up to us to be able to go out and read and find out about our students. Know who you are teaching. And from my experiences, I've always taught in Title I school districts with a low socioeconomic uh, status. And also, the majority of my students have uh, come from poverty, living in poverty situations. And uh, you have to know who you're dealing with. So I've always found it my business to know who I'm dealing with. And also with that, I've, I've always had students, the 10 years that I was in the classroom, there was not a year that went by that I did not have students that had social, emotional disabilities. Uh, I, I've always had students in my class that, uh, had, that were diagnosed or uh, given a label of EMD, uh, emotionally disturbed. I've had the OD students, oppositional defiance, and I've also had the ADHD students, the uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So, just making a connection with the environment that those students came uh, from, and reading the research that I uh, have read from Dr. Jensen's book, Teaching with Poverty in Mind, uh, going back to uh, acting out behaviors and patience, impulsivity, gaps in politeness and social graces. It, it just all makes perfect sense why it is so good to be able to have those cognitive behavioral strategies that you can use in the classroom to help those students. As, as an educator, I've always had the lens of the whole child not just looking at the academics, but looking at the social and emotional needs of my students and wanting to encourage that self-discipline because I knew and I know that until you reach those social emotional needs of those students, uh, it oftentimes is very hard to move forward in the academic aspect of it. You know, when students are sitting there and they're, they're facing anxiety and they are um, acting out and they have gaps in politeness and social graces, that's a need for concern. Now, we're not acting as therapists, but as educators in the classroom, we're giving those students supports in hopes to help them uh, be as successful as they possibly can. Also, encouraging self-discipline in classrooms where the cultural backgrounds are different, you have different families, uh, I also worked in Dallas Independent School District and a uh, majority of my students that I served were Hispanic students. 
So, you know, you have a, a, a bunch of diversity going on. So you have to know how to reach the social emotional needs of those students as well as being coupled with that poverty piece and the um, behavioral piece. One thing that I, um, a resource that I ran into and I have held on to for a while is um, a resource that I ran across from Teaching Tolerance. And this resource I found Googling online, which is one of my favorite pastimes. Um, it's from the Southern Poverty Law Center. And you all, this is an excellent website to go on and, and find resources uh, concerning topics of behavioral issues, diversity issues, just all the things that we face in uh, the school, the public school systems uh, at this time. A lot of things that you come across are very relevant and research-based, and so those are the things that I tend to look for. One of those resources that I came across is a resource, a free resource called Starting Small, Teaching Tolerance in Preschool in the Early Grades. And this is an awesome, awesome um, resource that I got a couple of years ago, and I've kept it on the lock and key. Uh, because if you have been in the classroom and worked with teachers, you know, sometimes we tend to get sticky fingers and sometimes your good resources will disappear. But starting small has a lot of aspects of cognitive behavioral therapy involved. Um, it talks about uh, a wider circle, working from the ground up, a sense of wonder, little hands, peace takes practice, and layers of meaning. And those two last chapters, peace takes practice and layers of meaning are awesome uh, starting points in this um, resource that I found. Because sometimes you, you get resources and you have to go through and you have to hand select things that are relevant to what you are uh, experiencing in your classroom at that time. Uh, it talks about classroom rules and discipline in chapter six and encouraging self-discipline, little utopias and creating a, creating a child haven. And also chapter seven, layers of meaning, talks about childhood losses, coping with loss and new visions. So I always like to align different things. So I got um, starting small and teaching with poverty in mind. And I wanted to find some alignment uh, with these two resources uh, to help further uh, make my points of the CBT. Disciplinary strategies in the classroom on page 102 of teaching with poverty in mind and it says another I'm sorry going back to yes page 102 treating the symptoms not the cause aspirin might make your headache go away temporarily but if your lifestyle or workplace continually generates stressful situations, the headaches just 
uh, just uh, the headaches are just going to come back. When faced with a problem, it's important to treat the causes rather than the symptoms. For example, if kids in your school have deficits in reading fluency, a reading program may address the problem, but making more books available for kids to take home could address the source of the problem. Similarly, adding any new discipline program may help improve student behavior, but the good ones meet needs to reduce the need for kids to act out. Just increasing classroom engagement may reduce many discipline issues permanently. In fact, that some schools implementing a heavy-handed discipline program may undermine your progress. If kids act out because of cultural differences, consider implementing a diversity program to personally involve them in the content. If kids behave poorly out of boredom, the only way you'll solve the problem is to use strategies that actively engage students. We're going back to that keyword strategies, CBT strategies. If kids feel disconnected, strengthen relationships through mentoring, clubs, team building exercises, and community activities. Wherever, whatever you do, avoid wasting precious time, money, teacher morale, and emotional energy on solutions that only treat the symptoms. So oftentimes what I see as a classroom teacher and especially now as a school counselor, I see these behavioral therapists come in and other counselors, oh, we just want to focus on the negative. We want to focus on that diagnosis that's on paper uh, that says that little Johnny is uh, emotionally disturbed. And so we just harp on that and harp on that. So going back to what Dr. Jensen said about these students that are in poverty and these students that don't have... Uh, the building up that our more well-off students come to us with, uh, there's there's nothing that we can do about that. We, we can't treat the symptoms. We can only try to address what is going on in the here and now. And that's what cognitive behavioral uh, therapy focuses on. It focuses on what's happening right now. And you want to get kids to understand that major overarching thing that when I do good I feel good and when I do bad I feel bad right here in the present in the here and now CBT strategies are a right there focused uh, strategy it's not like some of the other counseling uh, strategies where it focuses on the past or it focuses on the future cognitive behavioral therapy focuses on the here and the now what's happening right now and in your classrooms, that's important. You always want to focus on what's happening right now in the here and now. When you're helping students to develop um, self-regulation strategies and, and uh, encouraging self-discipline. Because oftentimes as teachers, we want to think about what happened with that student yesterday. Uh, what happened with that student last year or last nine weeks or whatever. And we have to give these kids a fair chance to start all over again. Even if they have to continue to keep starting over and over and over. Those routines will eventually catch on. And those students will eventually start seeing, uh, feeling better. And you start seeing improvements as well. When students start thinking about their own emotions and why they're acting out. And how to self-regulate those emotions. 
because going back to the emotional keyboard it tells you that we're hardwired for certain emotional uh, emotions rather but there are other emotions that are taught they are taught and these emotions are taught or can be taught through the use of cognitive behavioral therapy we have to be taught humility we have to be taught forgiveness and empathy and optimism and compassion we have to be taught patience and and shame and cooperation and gratitude you know we think and we say oftentimes uh we, we look at what students do and you be like they ought to be ashamed of themselves for doing that but guess what they're not because that shame is not is not hardwired that shame for acting out inappropriately is taught when we teach students that when they do bad they feel bad and when they do good they feel good and when they start making that connection uh, these behaviors are, are like puzzle pieces they're gonna frustrate us at first but when we start putting those pieces those puzzle pieces together we will start seeing the bigger picture of why kids act out and do the things that they do and how the environment and how their social emotional status affects so many different things and then we start looking at the aces the adverse childhood experiences and our kids are coming to us with so many issues and problems now we see it in the news daily students just wanting to give up they want to take their own lives they have suicidal thoughts and feelings they don't know how to self-regulate their emotions they don't have a safety net they don't have a routine to help them self-regulate and self-discipline their emotions and cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the ways that we can help reach these students and show them that there is a light at the end of the tunnel you know all of us are hardwired for these these feelings of sadness joy distrust disgust anger surprise and fear but when we give students a routine and we show them those emotions and how to self-regulate those emotions through emotional charts role play teaching them and showing them how to be polite and showing them those social graces and giving them a more limited uh, more a bigger range of behavioral responses other than the ones that they pick up from their environment because of their misfortune and their marginalization and this is so important and relevant right now because our students need to know how to self-regulate their mind their cognition cognitive behavioral therapy I believe in it you all I am so grateful that um, I have had the opportunity to talk about uh, my perspective on cognitive behavioral therapy I am grateful that I've been able to look more in depth into cognitive behavioral therapy and reflect back over the years when I was introduced to cognitive behavioral therapy and look at some of the success stories and some of the kids that come to me that I've taught for ye uh, 
years ago. And they say, Miss Robinson, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for accepting me and not looking down on me. And that makes me feel good because, yeah, it was intentional, but it was all done through a way that they did not know I was calling them out, but I was helping them, holding their young hands and showing them that no matter the age or your your demographics, your demography is not your destiny. And if you just have these supports and these skills in place that uh, you can use and take away with you, then you can you can learn to self-discipline and self-regulate your emotions and your feelings. Regardless of whether you're a first grader, second grader, third grader. Um, so starting small, like I said, teaching tolerance in pre-K and early grades is a great resource that I um, have always relied on. Uh, it is a CD set that has different scenarios and different skills and different ideas and things that you can do that are based in the theory of cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, so if you want to check that out, you can always Google uh, the Southern Poverty Law, uh, Law Center uh, and you can go to Teach Intolerance and you can sign up for different resources on lots of different topics. But their social emotional uh, resources I found have been some of the best uh, research based uh, strategies that, that are out there. And I also encourage you to read Teaching with Poverty in Mind by Eric Jensen. Uh, this book is, um, it is endorsed by ASCD. And if you are a teacher and you're into uh, professional development, uh, you have heard of ASCD in their workshops. Um, in teaching with poverty in mind what being poor does to kids brains and what schools can do about it is that uh, someone wrote that uh, veteran educator and brain expert Eric Jensen takes an unflinching look at how poverty hurts children families and communities across the United States and demonstrates how schools can improve the academic achievement and life readiness of economically disadvantaged children life readiness is being able to self-discipline, self-regulate. We're going back to not just teaching the academics, but also teaching life skills. Hitting on the Maslow's before we get to the Blooms. Because if, the, if there's deficits in Maslow's, hierarchy and needs, there are going to be deficits in Bloom's taxonomy of skills. I thank you for listening to me this evening, and it is, that is the end of my podcast, and I thank you graciously for listening uh, to what I have to say. Thank you, and have a great evening.